0: Again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. We always ask you to please download the app, Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app. You'll have access to all of our station's content, not just the front line with Joe and Joe. And hey, if you like what Joe and I do, we have our social media show, political and cultural commentary. You can find us primarily at thefrontlinetv.com, thefrontlinetv.com, and also on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. Help us out. And today we're very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to the program Eric Salmons. Uh, and we're going to be discussing his new book, The Jesse Tree, an Advent Devotion. Advent is here. So we're going to be talking about Advent, and we're very happy to have Eric back. Now, many of you know Eric, uh, having said that, I want to give a brief bio. Eric Sammons is a husband father of seven author and editor of crisis magazine let me stop right there and encourage everyone to subscribe to crisis magazine it is i think the best catholic publication out there covering a wide variety of topics not just the catholic church but also politics culture and a lot of different things so we would encourage you to subscribe to to crisis magazine he believes in life liberty and the pursuit of holiness love it love it eric (laughs) has written several books including a book on catholic evangelization a book on digital currency bitcoin he's contributed over 150 articles to numerous websites including one peter five catholic answers the federalist catholic vote and bitcoin.com eric sammons welcome back to the front line with joe and joe brother guys thanks so much for having me it's great to be here it's our pleasure with that i'm going to hand it over to joe Rasinello.
1: Uh, Eric, we always start with the prayer. Uh, In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O Most Gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, O virgin, of virgin's our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word, incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us, amen name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Eric, we have, you know, a good relationship with Sophia Press, and that's how we get a lot of our interviews. We, always plug Sophia press so all our listeners out there please check out their books they have great books and this is one of them um i gotta tell you i mean i'm a crisis magazine subscriber i get your emails every day great articles but this is like a change of pace it's advent you know what i mean so i i I thought that was interesting and that's why we wanted you on the show and uh why the book on advent
2: Yeah, so really, it was developed out of my own family's devotions in Advent. My wife and I, we've been married for 27 years now, I think it is, we have seven kids. And from the beginning, we wanted to try to escape a little bit of the uh, consumerist attitude of the, what is called the Christmas season by the, the secular world, but really is the Advent season for us Catholics. And we wanted to, I mean, it's impossible to completely escape it. You can't go outside without seeing it go to the stores and things like that. But we want to try to escape that kind of consumerist mentality and say, okay, what are we really preparing for? Lent Catholics are great at Lent in that we know, okay, this is our time of penance, prayer, getting ready for Easter. But I feel like we forget that there's actually two penitential preparatory seasons in the church. There's Lent preparing for Easter, but there's also Advent preparing for Christmas. And so what we want to do in our family is, okay, we need something to, to make it so that we can prepare for the coming of the Christ child and prepare our children for that, have the right attitude. And so this book ended up just being what we did in our family for many years over time. And we'd start to tell our friends about it. they be like, oh, I want something like that. Can you, can you maybe just print something up for me? And so we would literally just print up stuff for our friends. And eventually we're like, you know, I think this is something that a lot of families uh, would really get a lot out of having a book like this.
0: No, it's awesome, and and it's one thing that we do have to say, okay. And this is not a, in a judgmental way, um, because we need to be reminded too of these things, okay. It wasn't until I, you know, really got married that I even realized that there was an Advent. I knew there was an Advent, but you know, what I got to give something up or you know, like, things like that. But it's good that we remind people that yes, there is Lent, and Catholics, generally speaking, are faithful to Lent and usually sacrifice something and 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 get more deeply involved in the church during that time, but. Advent is just as important. Okay. It's it, it, that time of preparation for that thing, which is the birth of Christ. Um, so now speaking of uh, birth and genealogies, okay, uh, the Jesse Tree. It's interesting title, Eric. What what? So let's let's educate, educate Joe and I and educate our audience here at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network. What is the Jesse Tree?
2: So the Jesse tree is an ancient devotion. I will admit I grew up Protestant. I had never heard of it until I got married. Uh, My wife, who is cradle Catholic, her family practices devotion for many years, although it's not that widely known among Catholics even, but it is an ancient tradition. And basically what it is, Advent, as we know, is the preparation for the coming of the Christ child. So what the Jesse tree does is it looks back at salvation history at the preparation of the coming of Jesus Christ. One time when we were doing Jesse Tree, this is, this is one of my, those highlights as a dad you get, and you're like, this is great. I think it was my 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 son was maybe eight or nine at the time. And he said, all of a sudden out of the blue, he just said, you know, I just realized, he said something like, Advent's like the Old Testament in just a few weeks. I'm like, exactly. That's exactly what Advent is. It's that salvation history, Old Testament, preparing for the coming of the Christ child. So the Jesse Tree, what it does is it picks out certain figures certain ancestors of our Lord Jesus Christ from the Old Testament and says, okay, how did this person live, but most specifically, how did this person and their life prepare us for the coming of Jesus? Because after all, after the fall in Genesis, Jesus could have come, you know, the week after. To, theoretically, why not? Well, because God knew, okay, after the fall, I need to prepare my people. I need to prepare the world for the incarnation, and that's going to take thousands of years. So what the Jesse tree does is it takes, in the four weeks of the advent, it kind of takes that few thousand years of Old Testament history and puts it in so that you really are anticipating the birth of Christ. You're seeing all the things Jesus, that God did beforehand to get ready for him, and so you're anticipating his coming.
0: That's great. Thank you so much for that. Eric Sammons is joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Eric is the editor of Crisis Magazine. He is also the author of a new book, The Jesse Tree and Advent Devotion. Remember, we have to support our Catholic publishers. So Sophia Institute Press, um, I'm sure you could buy it somewhere else. But we don't want you to buy it somewhere else. We want you to buy it on Sophia. Joe Resinello.
1: I'm glad you mentioned that you came from the Protestant tradition, Eric, because Protestants are really good at the Old Testament they really are i had uh, i years back i used to try to um, evangelize protestants believe it or not my friend left the church and he would go to this bible study and i went with him to try to like clear up all the misconceptions needless to say it was a enlightening conversation (laughs) on many fronts but at the same time I made a lot of friends in all honesty I mean no one changed their mind but to be honest I think we respected one another it was a good experience anyway they're good at the Old Testament we're not we're really not you know what I mean and this is a good like I think exercise for people and families talk about the need for Catholics to basically broaden their knowledge base of the old Testament. It's, it's a reality it's in the Bible. We got to know it
2: yeah and it's it's one of the things where we we there was a there's an ancient heresy that happened about a hundred years after the birth of Christ called it was Marcion was the, was the name of the guy, the heretic Marcionism. and he had this idea that the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament. And now obviously that's a heresy that I think every Catholic would just instinctively reject. yet it's implicit in a lot of us that we look at the New Testament, the God of the New Testament as fundamentally somehow different. He's the God of mercy and things like that. Whereas the God of the Old Testament is God of judgment and anger and killing people and all that stuff. But really, if we want to understand the the Bible, if we want to understand the New Testament, we want to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to understand the Old Testament. We have to understand all the things God did to prepare us. Because it was basically the Old Testament in one sense is a story of God's mercy, really. Although we we act like the New Testament's the mercy part. No, no. It's God's mercies all in the Old Testament because God's people keep rejecting him. They keep falling away from him. They keep not doing what he wants them to do. I mean, there are so many stories in the Old Testament of God's people rejecting him. Yet what does he do? Does he say, forget, it, I'm, I'm done with you people. No, he says, I'm going to continue to mold you, to, to, to lead you, and to lead you specifically to the incarnation of my son. And so it's, it's vital that, that Catholics understand the Old Testament. But let's be honest, it's hard everybody knows who's tried to read the Bible through. You get to about Leviticus, and you're like, I'm done with this. I cannot read through this. It's too difficult to read. It doesn't make sense. It, it is. Let's just be honest. It's not easy to, re- to understand and read the whole Old Testament. It's over a 1,000 years of history. Lots of different ways of writing. There's the Psalms, there's the history books, there's the prophetic books, there's all these different ways of writing. So it's hard. So this is an example that the Jesse Tree devotion that, that we're talking about here, it's a way to distill it all, to to let it even young people, young children, because that's how we started was their young children, they were five years old, less than that. Just to get this overview, okay. Now I kind of see the big picture. After going through the Jesse Tree, my hope is that a family would see the big picture of the Old Testament. So then when they hear the readings from the Old Testament in the in at the Mass, for example, they're like, oh yeah, that's from that part of history. That that that's from that part of the Old Testament. And it all starts to come together and it helps their in their in their devotion and their and their
1: adoration of our Lord. You know, I think that's great because it's families doing stuff together outside of watching TV. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, like it's great. Yeah. It's a great thing. And I, I mean, I'll share with you what we do. Uh, a missionary, a charity nun suggested this. We put a box and we take, pay and every good deed. For Advent, we put in the box, which is the manger, and we want to fill it up so Jesus has a place to sleep. That's our tradition. And we've been doing that since it's simple. They do something good. Like my son doesn't hit my other son with with a block. (laughs) 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 And I'm like, good job, (laughs) right? Put some
0: I will hand in that box <laughs> I will I will say this Eric um and you know because Joe and I were you know we 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 understand you know we're both working guys you know I mean we wish we could do this as as a profession but right now're we both have nine to fives or mine is like five five to midnight but anyway <laughs> um so a lot of people might say yeah but Eric I, I I don't I don't have time to read the Old Testament nor do nor am I equipped. You Know some people in humility say I don't I I can't read the old testament. I tried it once. You know, I did one of those things, Eric, in my journey. I came when I was coming back to practicing the faith. Um, yeah, I'm gonna start the Bible at page one and I'm gonna read the whole thing. Yeah, I got to about chapter two of Genesis yeah. before that came to an end. <laughs> but my larger point is that a lot of people say either A, um, I I I don't have the time to sit down. Um, to uh, to read the Old Testament, barely have enough time to read the new okay um, and, and and quite frankly I'm not equipped to do so. Now what your book I think offers is, is a resource for those who might not have the time and you make it obviously more more accessible to the lay mind. let's say talk, talk, talk about that a little bit and, yeah. and other maybe other resources uh, that, that people could avail themselves of.
2: Yeah, the great thing is we do, we are, more and more resources are created every day for Catholic Understand the Bible. I mean, my number one go-to place, if I am uh, recommending to a Catholic Understand the Bible is go to St. Paul Center, Scott Hahn's organization. That's where you go. If you want to, as a Catholic, understand the Bible, I can't recommend them too highly. Now, what we tried to do, my wife and I in this book on the Jesse tree, what we're trying to do is it's very simple. Each day, you only have to spend about five or Ten minutes, maybe fifteen at the most. Basically, you read a passage from the Bible. We have a reflection so you can understand, and it's written in a way for a family sitting down together because that's how we did it, and all ages. And then we have I, we have another reflection. It's a little deeper. So, for example, let's say your let's say all your kids are teenagers. Well, you're probably going to want to do that dig deeper because they can gather that. But let's say all your kids are in elementary school, something like that. You might just want to do the first reflection and that's it. And that's kind of how it's intended. But it has also an ornament showing for the Jesse tree that that shows the symbol of the person or the event or something like that. So it's very much where the kids, and hopefully you'll get the ornaments that Sophia sells along with it. You can put on a tree, a Jesse tree. So it's very visual. So a kid can understand it. And frankly, like you said, even adults who aren't really well-versed, they can understand it. It's meant to be for a family that has no real knowledge of the they don't have to have some deep knowledge Bible. they don't have a the theology degree or anything like that it's really based for for kids and their families and it's meant to be done together and like you like joe was saying about the the hay i, I love that in, in the box it we love these physical things particularly families particularly kids and so having the ornament they can see and touch and put on the tree it makes it more real so for example when we the one on st joseph we it's a, it's an ornament of a carpenter's tools so it really gets into them this is a working guy you know joe st joseph he's just a working guy and and that's what we can remember about him even if we don't remember exactly the details of, of what was written we see that we know okay there's the carpenter he's got his tools he's working a job and I, so those type of things i think are what we're trying to do make it very simple and easy for any catholic to to understand
0: yeah i i would just say i i agree with with joe we 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 get. I think we get smoked by the Protestants when it comes to knowledge <laughs> of the Old Testament. And again, I, I would say, I would say, avail yourself if you're out there listening to us at the front line with Joe and Joe of all these resources, particularly Eric's new book, okay, "The Jesse Tree and Advent Reflection," um, and uh, that's available at Sophia Institute Press. Uh, so, with that, Joe Rassinello.
1: I think it's so important too, you mentioned St. Joseph, like J- Jesus's ancestors. We all know that reading in scripture that I-, I can't pronounce any of the names. They're all these like Middle Eastern names, so-and-so, son of this, son of this, son of this, son of this. I mean, it shows um, a reality that Jesus comes from a family. And some of those folks, and again, I'm not a biblical scholar, but I do know that some of them, not exact. they weren't exactly good. People like all of them, but, but Jesus came from a line. Obviously he, you know, came from God. It's not a blood line, so to speak, but it's a line and it ends with Joseph. Why is that important? It's in the Bible. Everything in the Bible is important. That's important. Why is it? Well, it's
2: interesting because it's literally the first pages of the New Testament is the genealogy of Jesus. St Matthew gives us that genealogy. and he does that for a very specific reason. We have to remember, our religion is not like the Greek myths or the Roman myths or something like that, where it's basically just these made up stories from the past that tell maybe uh, tell us give some message or something like that. This really happened. It really happened in a specific place. At a specific time, and the person we're talking about, Jesus Christ, entered into human history as part of a real-life human family. And just to correct a a minor correction what you said, it really is his bloodline, because through Mary, he really is human, his bloodline, Mary. And so it really is this family. And like you mentioned, they're not trying to whitewash his family either, because— who of us has a family where we're all perfect? <laughs> we all got that crazy uncle. We might be the crazy I uncle. I am that yeah. crazy uncle. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I was thinking maybe one of us is a crazy <laughs> uncle. So, but we all have that and that's 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 human. That's the human condition. And that's the whole point of the incarnation is Jesus Christ came into the human condition. He didn't—he's not above it. He actually entered into it. And that's what the Jesse tree is trying to tell people, like, listen, this is his family history. Jesus Christ was true man. Yes, he is true God, and he is uh, equal to the Father, eternal, divine, but he's also true man. This wasn't made up. He didn't just act like a human being. He actually was a human and so therefore we need to understand what's the family what's the history behind him and also i think there's something to be said for the fact that he comes from the line of david and of abraham and those are very important points he is the promised messiah who comes from the, 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 the family of david the, the royal family the kingly family and he is the he is the king of kings and to a to a Jew of the first century if you try to tell them hey this is the messiah the king of kings and he wasn't from the family of david they'd say nah that's not possible because we know our old testament we know he has to be from the line of david because the old testament told us he is so all these things come together and you get and you, and you start to realize okay this is god i mean the plan of god is just so amazing he didn't just drop jesus just randomly through history. No, he built up, he has a whole family history. And that's what, if we understand that family history, we understand Jesus better.
0: Eric Sammons is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We are on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network discussing Eric's new book, The Jesse Tree and Advent Devotion. It's available at Sophia Institute Press. So I know that, you know, because I don't know the Old Testament, okay? And you mentioned the St. Paul Center, okay? Um, Like I've learned so much, um scott hahn is, is 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 one of the larger figures i would say in the last three decades or so um but then there's other john bergsma um mm-hmm. and 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 others and it's it's amazing that when you open when you listen even if you sometimes eric a lot of us like i said don't have time to read that's no excuse you got to go out and buy eric's book all right <laughs> um but when you understand the parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We understand things, words like typology. These things are important, especially since the New Testament says that we're called to get, be able to defend our faith. We have to be able to, let's say, as Catholics, defend the papacy, the idea of the papacy. And if you know the Old Testament, it will, it will help you to do that. Defend, defend, let's say, the idea of, of uh, our, our view of Mary. Talk about the parallels uh, that you draw between Adam, okay, obviously, Adam uh, and Christ and Eve and Mary uh, and how knowledge of the Old Testament you know helps us to understand more about Jesus and Mary, right? The, the word typology is so
2: important when it's understand when it comes to understanding the Bible. It's the one form of biblical interpretation that's used in the Bible itself. If we want to interpret the Bible properly, the way the Bible interprets itself, it's through typology. And just real quickly for the listeners, typology is just this understanding that you have some figure or event who is a type, meaning somebody who points forward to another figure or event. And so in the Old Testament, really everything in a sense points forward to Jesus Christ. But there's obviously things that point forward to the papacy, like you mentioned, to the church, things like that. And we see that from the beginning. And and St. Paul talks about this in his letters, about how Jesus is the new Adam. So Adam is the, the, the founder of the human race. He is the first of the human race. Well, Jesus is the first, the founder of the new human race, the resurrected, the glorified human race. Adam, for example, he he fell. He was in a garden where he fell. Jesus was in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, where he resisted the, the temptation. To, remember what he says in the garden of Gethsemane? Not my will, but your will be done. What does Adam say in the garden? My will be done. I'm going to do it my way. Where Jesus in the garden says, "No, I'm going to do it God's way." Also in the in the Old Testament, in, in I'm sorry, in the Garden of Eden, we see what what happens. It's a tree that causes the fall. They eat from the tree. Well, in the New Testament, we see with Jesus the cross, the tree of the cross, so to speak, is what brings about our redemption. So all the the, the Church Fathers love to find these parallels, and they just really bring out so much of understanding Jesus when you understand the more you understand the old testament because all of a sudden you start seeing these parallels. Uh, Same thing in in and so like I said Saint Paul talks about Jesus is the new Adam. Well very early in church history we're talking second century they start talking about Mary as the new Eve because as Mary as Eve Eve was created immaculately she's created without sin. But she took the apple and she chose to, to reject God. Mary likewise is created like Eve without sin. But she, what does she do? She has the fiat, thy will be done, that I will do it the way you want it to be done, unlike, unlike Eve. And there's a million other parallels, but the point is, is that typology, we, we try to use that in the book a lot in the Jesse tree. We talk about the just real quick. I just want to take an aside for another typology I like, which is typology of the patriarch Joseph in the Old Testament, is a type of Christ, but he's also a type of Joseph, the foster father of Jesus. So, for example, I mentioned that that the Patriarch Joseph was the son of Jacob. Well, St. Joseph was the son of Jacob. The Patriarch Joseph had dreams that reveal his future. St. Joseph had dreams that revealed his future. The patriarch Joseph was forced to go to Egypt. St. Joseph was forced to flee to Egypt. So we see these little parallels throughout the Bible that really help us understand, like, okay, I can understand St. Joseph better because I now understand the patriarch Joseph, and and the, you can just do that with so many different figures, and it really gets exciting when you start to start, start to see these things, uh, and, and that's what we're trying to do in this Jesse Tree book is kind of get those parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament.
0: I want to hand it over to Joe, but I, one thing I do realize, Eric, and I'm being very fair about this, I'm not I'm not beating up on Protestants, okay? It seems that when we say these things. The more I the more I hear you talk. All right. I'm going to get your book. I'm going to read your book. OK, um, I know a little bit from listening to others, talking to others, like I mentioned, John Berg, Okay, Catholic, the Catholic Church. When talking about, let's say, the, the parallels between the Old and New Testament, we're not trying to square a circle here. We're not straining to put it together. Most times I, I tell me if you, you agree or disagree, Eric. Most times when I hear these things, it's plain as the nose on your face whether it comes to the keys to the kingdom or what you just described with Joseph Um, and our Protestant brothers and sisters, sometimes they got a really strain to get out of these parallels that are just so obvious. Um, And, 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 and that's why I think Catholics, we need to, we need to be able to speak better to our Protestant brothers and sisters, especially when we're trying to evangelize. And this is a great way to do it by talking about scripture, because many Protestants are sola scriptura. Well, we could, we, we could talk about scripture right along with them, uh, particularly if people go out and buy your book, uh, The Jesse Tree and Advent Devotion. Joe Racinello, we have a couple minutes uh, before the break. Where do you want to go?
1: Eric, I'm glad you brought up St. Joseph. Um, you're a dad of seven. I'm a dad of five. Joe's fostering a son. Soon he'll have another foster child. Um, I love the parallel of Adam and Christ, and I, I'm going to link it to St. Joseph, because God didn't just, like, wipe us out. And that's what a dad does. He doesn't wipe his children out. There's such patience. I'm learning that. um, You know, I'm only nine years in, but I have five kids under eight years old, and I am stretched. I won't (laughs) say I am not. But God doesn't do that, and it shows the second chance, how he loves us. That's the parallel that I get from Christ to Adam to Christ, talk about that. I mean, you're a dad, and I'm sure you could tell stories from now until the end of the day um, about that second chance because I think that's so important to people, um, and I think people could relate to that because we all need a second chance. I definitely believe
2: that being a father has helped me understand understand God better, because when I look at my kids when they screw up, my first thought is okay, how can I help them to recover from that? How can I lift them up? My first thought isn't, okay, how can I punish them. Destroy. I mean, I might have to punish them because as a father, a good father punishes his children. But even my punishment, I'm not I'm not thinking, oh, I, I want to do this to to make them feel bad. My thought is, okay, I want to do a punishment that's going to help them so they don't do it again. And when I look at other people's kids, if they get in line, sometimes I do get annoyed. I, my first thought is, I, that kid, he's just annoying or whatever, something like that. And it made me realize God looks at us like, the father looks like, like I look at my own kids, like fathers look at their kids. When he sees us screw up, his first thought isn't, oh, I got an opportunity now to to really crush this person, to bring them down. No, his first thought is, how can I lift them back up? And you see that right from the beginning. I mean, that is the, the, the beauty of the first three chapters of Genesis is it basically tell, it sets the whole plate, for everything that happens after it, you just—if you understand the first three chapters of Genesis on some level—you understand the whole purpose of of everything in the Bible. Because what happens is, is that he gives them as a good father, he gives them everything. He—they're privileged, as as the language we'd use now. Adam and Eve were the most privileged people who ever lived. Yet, what did they do? They chose to sin. They chose to reject God. They chose to make themselves God. God could have said, "I'm done with you people. Okay, forget it." no what he he immediately promises them he there is punishment very much punishment involved but then he immediately promises them the coming of the savior he immediately says that there's going to be one who's going to come. They're going to crush the head. We're going to to have this savior, the proto-evangelium, we call it. And so I think that's beautiful because that's what a father does. When he sees his son or his daughter fail in something, his first thought is, how can I help lift that person back up? How can I help my kid lift them back up so they can be the best they can be? And that's exactly what God does from the beginning, from the garden. And so I really feel like it's all throughout salvation history. You see this God constantly reaching down and saying, okay— He screwed up again for the 1 millionth time, but he's got infinite patience. As uh, as human dads, we, we, you know, yeah, sometimes we do, we, 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 you know, our first thought isn't this great, you know, beautiful thought. Our first thought is, this idiot
0: kid, why'd he do that again?
2: Uh, <laughs> not Eric, God, he it. never does that.
0: <laughs> Eric, let's leave it there for one second. I want to pick pick up pick up on that with one character in particular after we come back from the break. You're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, having a great conversation, as always, with Eric Sammons. Eric is the editor of Crisis Magazine. He's also the author of the new book, the Jesse Tree and Advent Devotion. That's out from Sophia Institute Press. We encourage you all to go out and buy it. Stick around. We have another great segment with Eric Salmons.
2: Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Piscillo and Joe Racinello are way in the breach with Eric Sammons, editor of Crisis Magazine and author of the new book, um, The Jesse Tree and Advent Devotion. That is out at Sophia Institute Press. Thank you for joining us here at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Eric, I have a question. I always try to find something encouraging. You know, let's say when I, when I beat up on myself because of sin— and I think about things, things I do and self-reflect, okay? Um, you know, you were talking, you and Joe were talking before the break about God's, God is a father, okay? Um, and and a, a father is just, but a father is merciful, okay? Talk about one of the main characters uh, and where we could derive hope, especially in in our falls, when we fall, the character of David in the genealogy of Jesus, okay? Because I find the character of David, aside from other things that he was a king and he slew Goliath, David was a sinful man, um, incredibly sinful as a matter of fact. Now, you guys were talking about second chances before the end of the, uh, before the the uh, break. Talk about that a little bit and how we could draw, draw encouragement from both God's actions and the actions of David.
2: David actually, I would say, is probably the premier figure of the Old Testament. He is the one who is after God's own heart. And in a sense, I know we don't like to say it like this, but God loved him the most. (laughs) And it's like he really did because David loved God above all things. However, as we also know, he was a great sinner. I mean, the, the, the incident with Bathsheba... The, the, the fact, I mean, everything involved with it, obviously the adultery itself, but then he literally had Bathsheba's husband murdered. I mean, he's a murderer and an adulterer, and yet he's God's favorite. And that should tell us something about our own sins and how we look at them. One of the things, I, I've just listened to something recently talking about this, your reaction to when you fall, what is it? If it is you get super upset, you're, you're mad at yourself, stuff like that, that's actually not humble. Because it's pride that you think you're so good that you can't fall you you think you're better than David <laughs> the fact is is that we we do fall and when we fall what we what we really need to do and Jesus talks about this be like the 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 publican who just says I am a sinner this is what I am have mercy on me that, that's our attitude, and that was David's attitude, because if you read, for example, Psalm 51, the one probably the most beautiful—it's my favorite psalm. It's so beautiful. Have mercy on me, God, in your kindness. The idea that basically we're all sinners, we fall, but we do have a loving Father, and if we turn to Him, we do have to turn to Him. If we turn to him and just say, Have mercy on me, and we mean it, he will have mercy. He's not gonna hold that mercy back. He's gonna pour it on us. And he ends up making David the greatest king in in, in the Old Testament, the greatest king in in, in Israelite history. And so it, it really is a great story of how who God uses, who God really has has a a heart for is not the prideful. It's the person who says, Yes, I am a sinner and and I need your I need your mercy and I depend upon it. That's who God really has a heart for.
0: Thanks for expanding on that. Eric Sam is joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Rusinello.
1: I just want to comment on that cuz you're so right. Um what has humbled me is life itself and I fail and then I go to confession. I always say on the show I try to go at least once a month and in confession sometimes more. Um I just walk out and I'm I say to myself, I swear I am so thankful I am Catholic on the drive to my house. You feel so good. Like an an Advent is a good time to go to confession. Like, you know, the church requires at least once a year. I know that that's the minimum, but Advent or Lent is a good time to go to confession. Talk about the need for basically preparing ourselves during Advent for confession and which ultimately prepares us for the birth of Jesus.
2: Right. Advent is, like I said before, is a penitential preparatory season. And so because as Catholics, that's how you always prepare for something is through penance. You pre- prepare for the celebration through penance. And this has always been—that's why we have Advent, that's why we have Lent. It used to be in the church years ago uh, when you had any major feast day. The day before was called the Vigil, and now is a penitential day. Because the idea is to get to the feast, you have to fast. And likewise, obviously Lent, we know about the fast. To prepare for the feast of Easter. Advent's a fast as well, but that means it's a penitential time and it's a perfect time to go to confession. Actually, your story reminds me of when I was Protestant in high school and I had a conversion experience where I gave my my life to the Lord. I was a high school student, I was a high school guy, I did stupid, I did sinful things, just like we you all would do. Expect. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I would go home and I would sit in my room and I'd ask God to forgive me, but I wasn't ever 100% sure if he really did. Because how did I know? I was like, did I did I ask for forgiveness the right way? Yes, I know there's some scrupulosity there. But because I was Protestant, I had no way of really knowing that God forgave me. And I still can, to this day, remember that first confession I went to. I heard the words, I absolve you of your sins. I knew. I knew for a fact that I was absolved. And that's the beautiful thing about confession. When I get out, one of the things I always strikes often strikes me when I get out of confession is how mundane it is, how ordinary it is, and yet that's exactly how God works. You just go in there, you say your sins, the priest says a couple words, he gives you absolution, you walk out. I'm like, that's it. That's all I had to do to get literally all these sins lifted off of my back. This is awesome. I mean, but that's what the beauty of it is: is God works through these mundane things. So I would definitely encourage everybody this this Advent, go to confession. It's a it's it is the best way. To prepare for the coming of the Christ to go to confession.
0: Thank you for that, Eric Sam is joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Eric, let me ask you a question. Obviously, let's let's talk about American culture a little bit. Okay, we promise we won't get you in too much trouble. <laughs> um, not that you do a good enough job getting you yeah. in trouble. Um, but uh, but it, there's a problem. There there is a problem in, in in America, especially surrounding Christmas. It's a completely secular holiday. Okay, um, others who are not let alone Catholic, or not even Christian, they claim Christmas as, a, as an American holiday. I've heard others say this. People who politically and culturally I probably would agree with, okay, on, on many, many things. Why are we so afraid to say to people, you know what, it, it's it's really not an American holiday. It's not your holiday, okay? It represents something, okay? If you want to give gifts to your kids, that's fine, but are you telling your kids uh, when, you're, when your son or daughter asks, Daddy, why are you giving me a gift today? Are you telling them it's because you're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ? No, you're not. Okay. How do we, let's say Catholics, um, better show the rest of the world. No, 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 no. This is about the birth of Jesus Christ. I think that reading your book and talking about the things that you, Joe, and I are talking about would be very helpful in that. We got to break out of this. We got to break out of this this idea. I mean, Christmas should be about if you're going to do some shopping, it should take you a day and then go to the store, go buy some food, stick it in the fridge. Okay. And then you're prepared for food for Christmas Day. Okay. And Christmas Eve. Outside of that, it should just be about Jesus. But unfortunately, in our culture, it's not. Can you expand on that a little bit?
2: Yeah, it really is a major problem we have in our culture today with it the consumerism of of Christmas and just the hectic and the craziness of it. I think what we can do as Catholics is we start of course with, like everything with our family. And I do think and you know self-promotion here. I do think my book the, the Jesse Tree is a is a great way to do it because it allows every single day of Advent you have a moment to say to get outside of that and say, "Okay, let me enter into the actual meaning of what we're preparing for of Advent." I also think we should do practical things, like for example, keep keep gift giving simple. I, I just think it's crazy how much the, the craziness of how much. We, we do and, and the idea it's being hundreds of dollars on one kid and stuff like that all that that's crazy something so i'm I'm reading little house and prairie to my girls right now and it's always the, i love the scene at christmas where laura gets like a piece of candy and she's ecstatic for christmas <laughs> yeah. she, and she's just like this is the greatest thing ever she's so thankful i love reading that because you know my kids can see like hey listen this is actually she's more joyful over that piece of candy than most kids are today over getting $100 worth of toys. And I think that's something to remember. I also think like, for example, my wife, she's always committed, she buys, all any, all the gifts before Advent starts. She, she does it in October, November. She makes sure she has them all bought before Advent starts. So that during Advent, that's one thing off of her checklist. Cause you're always going to have things that come up. You can't help. If you're working, you got the Christmas party and things like that. I, I get that. We can't escape that completely, but we can at least reduce it. So we have a peaceful atmosphere at home. We're not running around everywhere. I, you know, schools will have their Christmas play and stuff like that. Let's try to minimize as much about that as possible. Stay focused on the real meaning. Make sure every day we're, we're praying the Jesse tree to get prepared for Christmas. And so it, it, it's a constant battle. But I think if we start in our families, that's where it's really going to happen.
0: I've got one quick comment. I'm going to hand it over to Joe, Eric Sammons. Um, I, I think a great idea would be that, like Joe said earlier about putting on the TV, all right, rather than put on the TV, do some arts and crafts. Particularly if you have kids, make your gifts. If you're yeah. going to spend money, if you're going to spend that hundred bucks, I bet you could go down to the arts and craft store and get a, so much stuff for that hundred bucks. You can make twenty gifts out of that. And guess what? It'll come from right here. It'll be something that you, with your children, created to give an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, or or, or this or that. There's a great idea to go where you're turning off the TV and doing something that doesn't feed into a lot of this consumerism that, let's face it, which has been going on for. Heaven knows how long, okay? But thank you for your comment on that, Eric. Joe Resinello.
1: Eric, you mentioned that Advent is a penitential season um, as well as Lent. And the idea of all seasons that are penitential is that we grow in virtue. I think sometimes, like, I'll focus on Lent. Um, You know, we do things. Could be big, small, whatever, private, but we give up things. But it's for a reason, to grow in a virtue. That's the name of the game. You know, like like all of the stuff that we do, we pray to be more like Christ and to be more like Christ. We have to be virtuous and we have to grow in that. How does your book address that, particularly, you know, through the different figures who were clearly some of them were very virtuous men as St. Joseph was, because I think that's vital. And, and I, because what I want to like kind of emphasize with this basic question is we can get mechanical with things we do things because we have to do them but there's a purpose and that is to grow in virtue how does the jesse tree help you know the reader grow in virtue i think what it does it shows how the
2: virtues are lived out. It's just like with the saints. We see how the virtues are lived out. We also see, like we were talking about earlier with David, we see the virtue of repentance, how when we don't live a virtuous life, what we're supposed to do. I think one example that is particularly, I know know we keep going back to St. Joseph, because why not? He's awesome. Uh, But I think he particularly works in Advent because the witness of him, the silence of Joseph. If there's one thing we want to grow in, I think in Advent is silence. We want to. You know, here I am. I'm the editor of a, a online Catholic magazine that puts out an article. You know, a couple articles every day. I'm constantly on, you know, social media talking stuff like that. Well, we all need to shut up sometimes. I agree. You know, and so like. I mean, it's probably a sin. All three of us probably all struggle with, you know, when we're doing. No, oh, absolutely. We really think about it. But Advent is that time to be silent. I mean, Silent Night is one of the the, the most classic Christmas songs for a reason because we're trying. It's it's perfect for us here in the northern hemisphere because the silence of winter, things are quiet are quieter during the winter because of the snow and things like that. And I think that's something because Joseph, he was a man of action, absolutely a man of action. But we don't know any words that he ever said. And I think that was the scriptures telling us, uh, uh, giving us a real lesson in that virtue of silence, that we really need—the only way you can hear God is if you're quiet. If you have a conversation. If you're the only one talking, you're not hearing anything that other person's saying. And same thing in prayer. So I would recommend particularly, and, and hopefully we get this across in the Jesse Tree book, just to be quiet. And listen, listen to what the Lord is telling you through the example of these ancestors of our Lord so that we really can enter in and understand better because only through that. And that is something that is extremely hard today. Because of social media, we all have our phones on us and things like that. It's very hard to be quiet, but we really need to do that. So here's a practical example. During the season of Advent, when you're driving around, don't turn on the radio or only turn on maybe classical music or something like that. Don't don't listen to a podcast. Don't even listen to talk or even Catholic radio at times. You know, we don't want to have only that. We need to we need to just be silent. Have some silence sometimes.
0: I was I was just going to say I was going to I was going to ask you. Sometimes we have to also turn off valuable things like yeah. and those things that are good in the interest of being silent. We could cram our brains with, like, I, like, I, like people could listen to us here, Eric, and, and enjoy our conversation. We hope they do. Okay. But sometimes you just got to tune that out too. Mm-hmm. Because, because as, as Joe and, and I'm, I know you, because we're Catholic, we feel the same way we're, we're in the world. We're not of the world. And sometimes we just have to tune it out. Silence is the, is the one of the most difficult things to do nowadays Especially, Especially uh, uh, as I'm about to, in a little while, ask you to make sure you tell everybody where they can follow you on social media. But having said that, but yeah, sometimes you got to tune it out because even those voices you agree with who are saying things that are valuable and good and things you may maybe can act upon, uh, got to tune that out too. Now silence is something to value. Um, but let's talk about another thing that Jesus spoke about: Be- being like children. I think people misinterpret that. OK, we talk about, you know, when Jesus says, you know, unless you could be like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but you, you know where I'm going with that. What, what does it mean, Eric? What, what does it mean to 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 be a child in the way Christ is asking us to be childlike, not childish, but childlike?
2: I think we go back to that story I just told about Laura Ingalls in, in the uh, Little House on the Prairie, how excited she got about that that gift of the candy. She she practiced the virtue of gratitude. And I think that's a lot of times kids, if they're, if they're raised properly, of course, that idea of wonder and gratitude that when they're given something new, the, 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 think about how excited they get about what we in our adult eyes look at. Like, that's just junk. That's some junk from China or something like that. It probably is junk. But they get super excited about it. And, and so just this idea of—of of course, we want to cultivate our kids to really get excited about the, the the good, the true, and the beautiful, not the junk from China or something like that. But the point is, is like a kid, he just has this excitement about the world and about receiving what God gives us. And I think a lot of us, we go through life very cynical. We go through—and right yes, let's be honest, we know things, there's problems in the world. There's many problems in the church. We can't tune that out completely. Yet— when we're at Mass and we're praying, do we have gratitude that, wow, I get to be at Mass? I get to be at the place where the Holy Sacrifice of Mass happens. Do we have, When we receive communion, are we like, wow, this is a big deal. There are many, many people who haven't been able to do this, but I can. A child, someone with a childlike attitude— is grateful for that, and, and and senses the wonder of it, understands how big a deal it is. Uh, you know, just doesn't even understand it completely, but just like this is a big deal, I love this, and that's why I think we need to have as Catholics, we need to have that kind of childlike gratitude for the world around us.
0: Joe, Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you But I just need to expand on one more thing Eric, I'd love for you to talk about um, Along the lines of being childlike Talk about the need Again, in the midst of all the noise And the politics and the culture war And everything else Talk also about that childlike uh, quality Of trusting in God The way we trust in our parents When we're little kids That we we look to them for everything Talk about also trust And then I'm going to hand it over to Joe
2: Absolutely. That's a, that's a very key point of being a childlike is to trust. I don't know about you, but I'm a control freak and I cannot handle when things don't go my way. I have a very hard time with that. So one of my big struggles, because I want to be able to say, okay, this is all taken care of. I, I got this all organized. My seven-year-old daughter, if she's holding my hand. She's fine. She doesn't need anything else. We just walk down the street. I'm thinking about, okay, I got to make sure I'm checking out where we're going. I'm, I'm thinking about okay, where are we going? We're going to get there in time, stuff like that. She's just like, I'm holding dad's hand. What else do I need? And that's what we're supposed to be like in our own lives. We're holding God's hand. What else do we need? Everything's taken care of. If anything happens wrong, dad will take care of it. And that's, that's what you need to have as a follower of Christ is you're holding God's hand. The father is just going to take care of you no matter what's going on around us. Everything's crazy. Yes, we know that. There's a lot of things to be worried about, anxious about. But our Lord says, don't be anxious because why? Because the father's taking care of us. Yeah, that doesn't mean bad things won't happen. It just means that he's taking care of us through even the bad stuff.
0: Thank you for that. Eric Sammons is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. This is a great conversation. We love having Eric on the show because it's always lively. Uh, Eric's new book is The Jesse Tree and Advent Devotion. It's out from Sophia Institute Press. We encourage you all to go out and buy it. Joe Resinello.
1: Eric, we talked about growing in virtue. We talked about some Old Testament figures where we could grow in our knowledge of scripture. Let's talk about like old St. Nick, the Christmas spirit. I can remember when I was a kid, people would come, I swear, carolers, I remember that. You know, I was, I was thinking about that earlier when you were talking. I was saying, I remember a day when I used to go caroling. Yeah. Not allowed anymore. As kids. Go ahead, I mean, like that was like getting in the spirit, but also the spirit of giving. Saint Nicholas, you know, as the story goes, gave to poor people. He went out and he gave of himself. I think that's something I think we could do as a family, families, is to embrace that spirit of giving um god gave his son to the world that's what christmas is about he gave his son to the world to do what to save us from who ourselves our sins um the spirit of christmas is about giving oneself and as saint francis put it it's in giving that we receive um talk about that a little bit because i'll be honest with you i think that's how we open the eyes and the ears of people there, we have the best story in town. We really do like, like if you're open to it and you have like intellectual curiosity, the Catholic Church has the best story in town. But people shut us down. I think it's through that giving spirit of self that people We'll take a second look, and I think Christmas is a great time for that, particularly Advent. Um, talk a little bit about that, because I really think we could use this time to give of ourselves in the way, in a small way, that, you know, Jesus gave of himself for us, to us.
2: Yeah, and I think you're right. We we live in literally the most affluent society ever in the history of man. We are all rich beyond the dreams of kings from a thousand years ago in in all that we have. And yet we are some of the most selfish people whoever existed as well. And I think there's a connection. If, you, if you've if you ever worked, uh, if anybody's ever worked with poor people in particular, particularly the really poor, uh, they have such an attitude of gratitude and they, because they know everything comes from God and they're very dependent upon God. We like to act like we're not dependent upon God because we're so rich. But really, ultimately, we have to understand that God wants us to give until it hurts even. I mean, it's not just a matter of, okay, you, 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 you write your, check and it's just part of your budget or something like that. No, it has to be where you're giving of not just your money, but of your time that it really hurts. And like you said, what that does, that separates us, that sets us apart. The word holy, the word saint means set apart. Well, the way we set ourselves apart from society is we don't act like everybody else, and the best way we can do that today, like you said, is this giving attitude that, yes, we give financially, obviously, as much as we can, and that's going to be different for every person, but we give of ourselves. So the first place you do that, if you're a parent, is you give for your family. Like As as a husband and father, my first duty— is to give myself to my wife, give myself to my kids. But then, and also then I have a duty to give myself to my parish. That, how are you giving yourself? That doesn't necessarily mean you have to be volunteer for every single thing, but you're doing what you can to help the parish fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. You you give yourself in the community, you give yourself in all these different ways. Everybody's gonna be different. But what happens is, and you see that if you look at the rise, there's been studies done, uh, sociological studies done, on the rise of Christianity in the early church. How did it go from being just a few people to all of a sudden taking over a Roman empire in, in, you know, 300 years later? It was because they set themselves apart. Perfect example of this is when a plague would hit a town. All the pagans would leave town. All the Christians would go into the town. They would go in, take care of those who were sick and dying, and the sick and dying would say, why are you doing this? And they would say, because you are Jesus Christ to me, because you are Jesus Christ to me. And some of them survived and then told the story, and people started to say, wow, these people are nothing like us. These people are completely different, and many of them were attracted and said, I want to live like that. I want to live exactly like that. And that was—they've done studies where, like, when these plagues would hit, the town would become more Christian later because of the example of the Christians who were not afraid to die. They were not afraid of, of, of suffering. They went in, and they and they gave of themselves completely. And I think that's 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 the model we have to—that's the model for evangelization that we have to follow today as well.
1: I agree. I just want to piggyback on that story. And I, because I, before I got, I got married later in life, I would get involved in a lot of different things. Sometimes with the poor, the poor will teach you something. And I'll just tell you a story how they taught me something. I was in Haiti and it was Saturday. And outside all of the houses, very poor houses, were shoes shined for Sunday's mass. I don't do that. Yeah and they have nothing and it makes you really step back and you're like i'm here to help you you're helping me you're helping me and i think it works both ways and we as catholics have to be open to that because god speaks in many mysterious ways um God knows he He speaks to me sometimes in ways I, I could never even imagine. I just wanted to throw that out there because I think sometimes, like I said, the poor have something to say and they do say it. And when they do, I think it resonates.
0: Amen. Eric, quick comment on that if you have. Yeah,
2: I, I think that's exactly right. I, I remember one time I went to a, uh, this is I think it was in college. And I, I went to this, uh, it's still Protestant. I went to this Protestant church that was, uh, very poor, uh, almost I think it was exclusive, almost exclusively African-American. And everybody there was dressed just immaculately. The women had these beautiful dresses on, the men all had suit and ties on. And I it struck me because I went to a evangelical church, suburban church, where most people were pretty well off. And what do most people wear there? They wore their polo shirts and and and, and it even got gets worse And you go to a lot of Catholic parishes, frankly, these days. And I just thought. Don't tell me it's a matter of having money to look the nicest. It's what they did was they have what we used to call your Sunday best, and it meant something because you're setting it aside for God. And God doesn't care what your Sunday best is, if it's your best. That's all he cares about. Is it your best? That's all he's asking for, is your best. And so I really think that those are the lessons that you you really find that when you, you work with the poor, uh, particularly, is that they really do— they have their priorities in better shape a lot of times than we do because we have so many things to distract us. That's the problem with riches; is they distract us, and that's the problem. And, and going back to the whole point of this conversation, which is Advent, it's the riches of the season that are distracting us. The fact that you can go down the street, you can buy hundreds of dollars worth of toys here, you can buy a bunch of clothes over here, you can, and and, and you're getting told every day, you buy this, buy this, buy that. You got to buy a diamond ear uh, ring for your, your wife. And you gotta, you know, the, like the commercials where you're buying a car as a surprise for your spouse. Who the heck does that? First of all, I don't know,
1: but like <laughs> I, I it's, all these,
2: it. it's, it's all these riches around us, they're all distractions. Every one of them. And frankly, the poor, not that we shouldn't try to lift the poor up on some level, they don't have those distractions as much. And so they can focus more on what really matters. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Eric Salmons, social media. Where can our audience uh find out more about what you have going on, whether Crisis magazine or elsewhere? Yeah, so Crisis Mag magazine, we're on
2: basically everything, just at Crisis Mag. If you we're on Twitter, we're on Gitter, we're on Gab, we're on whatever all the all the other ones too, at Crisis Mag. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. That's where I'm most active at Eric R Salmons. Maybe I would uh recommend not during Advent, <laughs> but no, but <laughs> not during Advent. And actually, here's here's just an example is on social media, I don't have it on my phone. I only have it on my work computer in my office. So the only time I can be on social media is at my desk at work. And so when I leave my office, I have no way of looking at social media. And that's just a little recommendation I will give to people. Maybe do that during this uh, Advent because what it does is it makes you not get so caught up in it, the distractions. You use it more as a tool to help you understand what's going on in the world rather than it using you and sucking you in. So that's just another suggestion for I,
0: Advent. I, 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 Eric Sammons, I think it's a great recommendation. Turn off the notifications on your phone yep. through Advent and just use your phone as your phone. That's okay, right. How's that? And then if you <laughs> want to know what's going on, sit by the computer for a half hour. And then get off and go read Eric Salmon's book, The Jesse Tree and Advent Devotion, which you could buy at Sophia Institute Press. Eric, I know I don't need to tell you this. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Always a great conversation. You know you're welcome back here anytime, brother, to talk about anything. We really appreciate it. I, I love your show. You guys are great. Keep on doing the great work you're doing. Thanks, Eric Eric. And we'll keep you in our uh we'll keep you in our prayers and you keep us in yours. Absolutely. And- And we want to thank you out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith in the New York City metropolitan area. Download our app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And where you see Joe and I, our two ugly mugs on social media, primarily Frontline TV on YouTube, Frontline TV on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff, help us out. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.